Hey, true crimies. I'm Kayla. And I'm Alicia, Kayla's mom. And you are listening to True Crime Exposed. Welcome to our show where you will find a new true crime case every week. If you're new here, just know that we are a mother-daughter duo that created True Crime Exposed to expose the worst people that exist among us and most of all to give victims stories exposure. We love being a voice for those that no longer have one and for getting stories out there that need to be talked about. Every case I share with you holds a huge place in my heart. Are you ready for today's case? Okay, guys. So it was about 22 years ago when Kayo Matsuzawa approached her mom with a question. Mom, it's my dream to study abroad, and I think I would like to travel to New Zealand and do this. But Kayo's mom was hesitant. She pushed back, telling Kayo that it's too far. It's too dangerous, and it costs a lot of money to travel abroad. You see, Kayo lived and grew up in Yamagata, Japan, a small fishing town. She was in her late 20s when she approached her family about her travel plans, and although they were worried about this decision, they also knew this had always been her dream. She grew up wanting to travel the world, and in the back of their minds, they always knew she would travel abroad. Of course, Kayo didn't have to ask her parents for their permission. She was an adult at this point, but she wanted to have that conversation with them because she respected their opinions and she had always been close with her family. She wanted their approval and their support. So reluctantly, her mom agreed. She wanted to help Kayo fulfill her dreams. And as a mom, I know it will be hard to watch my my kids grow up and go off on their own adventures like letting them go would be hard especially traveling to another country like alone you had a hard time with carly moving out and she just moved to saint george only a few hours away mostly because it like changes the dynamic of the house and like you're just not used like you're used to having them there all the time but in general i think i'd be pretty supportive of one of my kids wanted to travel abroad I think it's good experience and exposure to get them out in the world. And I'd be proud of them for wanting to be independent. Yeah. So in 1977, Kayo did start her journey. She was finally doing it. And her heart raced as she hopped on a plane and made the almost 11-hour journey across the ocean. Kayo had applied for a school called Dominion English School, where she would study English while working and traveling around New Zealand. While she attended school here, Kayo met many new faces and made new friends. Her closest friend was Naomi Seishu. These girls lived together and did a lot of their traveling together. Naomi said, quote, We'd go shopping together and to any events that were in Christchurch. 
we went to the Santa parade and got so sunburnt. A friend said she had never seen such dark Japanese people before. End quote. And after about a year of being in New Zealand, Kayo asked Naomi to come with her to travel up to the North Island. And while she was there, she would visit Auckland. This is a large city in New Zealand with a population of 845,000 at the time in 1998, which is that same year that Kaya would make her trip up there. It's now 2021 and the population has grown today to be about 1.5 million. Okay, wait, I thought you said they she left on her trip in 77. 1997. Oh, 97. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yes. I was yeah. like, wow, that was a long time. That was a really long trip. <laughs> she, was, she moved there. So Naomi was a little embarrassed because she had to tell Kayo that she couldn't afford to travel with her on this trip. She just couldn't take the time off work. So although Kayo didn't like traveling on her own, she did decide to go anyway. I mean, New Zealand was a fairly safe country. She had used that as a reason to convince her parents of letting her go in the first place. I'll be fine, she thought to herself. And with that, it was September 11th, 1998, when Kayo took flight AN626 up to the North Island from where she was living on the South Island in Christchurch. After Kayo successfully lands, she catches a bus from the airport to where she is planning to stay during her trip, which was called Queen Street Backpackers and was located, of course, on Queen Street. Information on this location today explains Queen Street Backpackers as being one of the friendliest backpacker hostels in the heart of the city. They have modest dorms and private rooms in what is described as an informal hostel that has like a lounge and a kitchen. This is only a short walk to the city's major supermarket and many other things. Have you ever stayed at a hostel? No, have you? Yes, I have. Um, Oh, really? Where? I think when we traveled to, it was either in Cambodia or Ghana, but it's basically... Like you have a room and then you share like a bathroom with other people. Oh, uh-huh. It's like shared living space, like the kitchen and the bathrooms. And then this one seems to have like shared rooms and private rooms as well. And there's just like a bunch of bunk beds. I don't think I would ever do it again, but I have. Yeah. I guess gotten more picky the older I've gotten. <laughs> It seems it does seem like a really good place for people like maybe traveling on their own that want to save money or, you know, people that are doing this backpacker lifestyle or people just traveling with a few friends. Yeah. And the picture showed me that they basically have multiple bunk beds in their dorms, but then they also have private rooms with one bed. And like I said, Kayo opted for the private room. We know Kayo arrived at her destination because she is seen at 2.14 p.m. getting off the airport bus and making her way into the hostel. Once inside, she checks in and is given a room on the second floor for three nights. And after she organizes a room, she leaves that area and starts walking. She's then seen on CCTV footage at 3.32 p.m. 
walking past the countrywide building on Queen Street. Kaya was wearing black bootleg pants, a black jacket, black shoes, and a backpack. She was also wearing small silver crescent-shaped earrings and a small gold band ring with a single pink stone. Kaya would only spend mere hours in the city of Auckland before being brutally assaulted and murdered. 11 days after her arrival on September 22, 1998, an alarm technician was working, and he had to go to the center court building for a job he was scheduled to do. The alarm room in this building was just underneath a stairwell and was located between two doors which connected the center court building to the shopping center next door. It was a room that wasn't easily accessible. You would definitely need to have knowledge of this building. And Dennis Groves was the alarm tech that discovered Kayo. He had come in from the third floor because there was no access to that part of the stairwell from the bottom floor. When he arrived at the utility room, he couldn't get in. It was locked. And so he used a screwdriver and was able to gain access. He said it was too much work to try and find the building manager and ask for a key. The screwdriver worked just fine. He put it in the crack of the door and just behind the tongue of the lock and then pulled it back. The door looks to be like a pretty raggedy old door that's very easy to probably get into without a key. Now, as Dennis walks into the small utility room, he sees something that would haunt him for the rest of his life and his nose filled with a smell he could never forget. Quote, The first smell that I was aware of was the smell of ammonia, and then it became a real vile smell, end quote. And laying on the ground was the body of a young Asian woman, and her body was badly decomposed. It was clear that she had been placed here many days earlier. Quote, I had a darn good look at the body because I thought I might be called as a witness later on. End quote. So this was, uh, he found her 11 days after she got to her destination? Yes. I mean, I guess you're probably going to tell us. Were people looking for her? No. How long was your trip scheduled for? She had that hotel room for three days. Oh. How come they weren't looking for her? (laughs) (laughs) Well, we'll get into all of that. Oh, Okay. Now, one little side note that Dennis states is he actually originally thought this body was a mannequin. And after hearing so many people like in these true crime cases say they thought they thought it was a mannequin when they were discovering a body. Just know, I promise there are not many mannequins laying around looking like dead bodies. So just always assume it's a body. And if it ends up being a mannequin, then thank goodness. Well, that would be traumatizing. Oh, so traumatizing. I can't even imagine. So True Crime Investigation by Brian Bruce on YouTube talked with Detective Simon Scott regarding Kao's case. He had been investigating Kao's death since the discovery of the murder. He was young when her case had happened and he never stopped looking for answers in her murder. And while police know more information... They will only tell us that her body was found completely naked and decomposing. 
Simon won't even let Brian open the door into the alarm room because he wants information regarding the room and how the body was discovered private. Quote, I would rather keep the information about that room to the police because there's a very few people in the world that know the state of Ko's body when it was found in there. And I would rather find that out from the person who put her in there and possibly the killer, end quote. And Kayo's exact cause of death could not be determined because of the state of decomposition. But however Kayo was found showed police that one thing was very certain. Kayo's death was caused by another human. This was a homicide, In 2018, police revealed that there had been male DNA found underneath Kayo's fingernails, and it is enough to compare to a sample they may gain from a suspect one day. And originally, Kayo was a Jane Doe. She wasn't identified. Police hadn't been looking for her. Her family lived in Japan, right? And Kayo didn't have a cell phone. Her friend Naomi couldn't have known if Kaya was deciding to extend her trip. And even if she was worried, Naomi was also in a foreign country. She spoke little English. And this could have made it hard for her to know what to do when Kaya never returned home. Naomi says, quote, After 10 days, no postcard came. So I did start to wonder. The police showed up at my work and drove me to the station. That's when they told me. But I already knew by then, it must be Kayo. End quote. So, like, not a lot of people in New Zealand even really knew her, you know? And that'd be hard if you don't have a cell phone to keep in touch with your family. Yeah. The way she communicated with her family during this trip to New Zealand was through postcards. Oh, wow. Well, and they had email back then, right? Probably, but it doesn't sound to me like she was using a computer. I mean, maybe, but... Yeah. So police were able to soon connect the Jane Doe's fingerprints to the fingerprints left on some belongings by a woman at the Queen Street Backpackers Hostel. These belongings were Keo Matsuzawa's. After the young girl never returned and never checked out on her checkout date her stuff was collected. And when the body of a Japanese girl was reported as found, this luggage was turned over to police as staff suspected that it may belong to the young Japanese woman that never returned for her stuff. Once this was discovered, investigators tracked down Kayo's family back in Japan and made that devastating phone call. Not only did her family need to be informed, but... They wanted to see if she had any dental records that they could match just for a certain identification. And they did. Ultimately, these dental records would be a second and confirming identification that Kayo was the woman found dead in the center court building. Kayo's mother, Hamiko Matsuzawa, was crushed. All her fears had come true. How could this be? Kayo had just sent her mom a postcard weeks ago. In August, it read, quote, Dear Mom, happy birthday. I've decided to come to Japan on November 4th, so another three months to go. Take care, love Kayo, end quote. 
And like I said earlier, Kayo had loved sending postcards to her family from each place she visited. She also sent a postcard to her brother, Junichi, just shortly after she arrived for her adventures in New Zealand that previous year. Quote, Thank you so much for your support when I left. It's much colder here than expected, but it's such a beautiful place. Everyone here is so kind. I will probably not get killed. I'd better get going now. Please don't do too much overtime at work and take good care of yourself. End quote. Which like, wow, that is so heartbreaking that she (laughs) had that on her mind. I will probably not get killed. I know. Yeah. And so like, I mean, it really shows that her and her family were truly worried. Yeah. If she's going to say like, oh, don't worry. Everyone's so nice. I will probably not get killed. That's so sad. I know. It really is. That's like reminds me of you. Because I always say that. Yeah. Always thinking something's going to happen. That really is like such a tragedy because I think she was on the lookout for it. And unfortunately, we don't really know how she got in that situation or. Yeah. How how far away was where she was found from her hostel? It was only I believe it was only a few minutes down the road. Okay. So, of course, Kayo's family never received a postcard from Auckland, confirming that Kayo did most likely meet her killer that same day she arrived. She always sent a postcard first thing. That mixed with the fact that the bed back at the hostel was made up exactly how the staff had it for Kayo's arrival leads police to believe Kayo was killed just hours after making her way around the city sightseeing and shopping oh no so she didn't even sleep in it no she didn't and it's also believed she didn't sleep in it because i guess her roommates and her friends and her family said she never made her bed oh yeah and so that's how we kind of know that it was how the staff left it she she arrived in auckland and she only survived for a few hours most likely that's sad i know And her family is still grieving today for her. The young girl who loved animals and did good in school. She had been so close with her family and her many friends back in Japan. Kaya was responsible and smart. So how could this have happened? She didn't use drugs that may have put her in a dangerous situation she was unaware of, but she was trusting. Maybe too trusting. She made friends easily. And her friend Naomi said that it didn't matter where they traveled, Kaya would always make friends wherever they were. Hamiko cried as she thought about how hard Kaya had worked for this trip. She had worked for a local fishing operation back in her hometown in preparation for her trip to New Zealand. She paid her own way there and she worked hard while in New Zealand, paying for her travels while also continuing her studies. She had even gone to an English school there in Japan to learn a little English before starting her trip. Kayo loved to sing and do karaoke. She was outgoing and warm and friendly. Before Kayo's body was even found, some of her possessions were discovered. It was around September 14th to 16th that her bag, passport, and insurance papers were found inside a garbage bin located on the corner of Albert Street and Swanson Street, 
nearby where Kaya would eventually be discovered. But what's weird about these items being discovered close to a week after Kaya was killed is that these bins were emptied two to three times daily, which means her killer kept her stuff until days later when he would finally discard it near where the murder took place. The garbage man had emptied the bin when he saw these very unusual items pour out together, a passport, a bag, insurance. It didn't seem likely that someone would throw these away. And thinking that someone may be looking for them, he turned them into the office of his employer, where the items stayed until Kayo's murder was covered by the media. This is when an office worker called the police to inform them that they had Kayo's stuff. And then soon after the discovery of Kayo's body, with the information from the garbage company, police are sent to Green Mount Landfill in East Tamaki, where the garbage is usually taken. They would search here for two weeks looking for anything else that belonged to Kayo. Now, Kayo could have been in the shopping center and then led into the stairwell or taken into the stairwell. Or she could have been brought into the stairwell from the center court building. The shopping center explains itself. Maybe Kayo was shopping there. But what was in the center court building? Well, there was an organization located here on the second floor called Key Education, which was an English language school with mainly Asian students. Within both these buildings, there are also things like a parking lot and a tavern, a food court, and much more. Now remember, the utility room where Kayo was found was located between two doors, one leading in from the BNZ shopping center and one leading in from the center court building. At the time, Bruce from the investigator show on YouTube is looking into this case. It's nine years later, and there is a motion alarm located near a door leading in from Queen Street. Access to the utility room from the food court would force someone to pass that motion alarm. So the video that was played showing this door and the stairwell on YouTube, it does look to be in pretty rough shape and it is confirmed to be the same door that it had been nine years earlier when Kaya was discovered. It seems to me like there had not been a lot of updating in this stairwell since Kayo's murder, so it's likely that this alarm was in fact there in 1998. If someone had used the door that comes into the stairwell from the food court, which is on the shopping center side, then they would have had to walk past this motion alarm to get into the utility room. But this alarm was never triggered. There was no record of it going off, which leads many people to believe that she was not brought in from the shopping center, meaning she had to have been brought in from the center court building. But the door that leads in from the center court building was a locked door. The center court uses data entry keys to gain access through all doors in their building. These keys had personalized information on them to show who accessed what doors. Two separate computer systems were used for the data key systems in the center court building and the BNZ shopping center. 
these systems showed history of door use and key use for these doors. And on the night Kaya was murdered, September 11th, 1998, the data is missing from both computers. And it's unknown still to this day if someone who worked here tampered with the computer or if it just happened to be a technical fluke, a coincidence, which I always have a hard time believing in a coincidence in a true crime case. Well, yeah, I was just thinking it had to have been an employee. I know. And that's kind of what I think. It's just I always say, like, there's no coincidences in true crime. Sure, you know, like, there are sometimes, I'm sure, but it's always weird when there's a coincidence in a case. So if this does happen to be someone who worked in one of these buildings, they may have been there after hours and taking Kayo into the utility room when no one else was there. Whether Kayo was placed in this room already dead or if she was killed here is also unknown. So who killed Kayo? Well, that's an answer that I unfortunately still cannot give you today. Kayo's case is a cold case, unsolved, and her family has never received justice. But there have been persons of interest. First, Dennis Grover, that alarm technician, was side-eyed. I mean, he was the one who discovered her body, and he used a screwdriver to get into the door. Something about it seemed weird to the investigators. But soon his alibi would clear him because his movements with work had been tracked electronically. Now, remember that language school located in that center court building? There was a man associated with this school that police originally started looking into. But just like with Dennis, an alibi clears him. And then many people believe that Alan Michael Grimson had murdered Kayo. Allen was a British man who killed multiple people. He was actually convicted in 2001 for the murder of two boys in England. And before that happened, in 1998, during Kayo's murder, he just happened to live in Auckland, New Zealand. He was living on the Devonport Naval Base, where he worked as a trainer for the base fire school. But Allen has no ties to the center court building. I mean, there's a very loose tie in the fact that he knows the man who is the manager of that alarm maintenance company that Dennis worked for. That man was Graham Osborne. But outside of this, he had no reason to have any knowledge or access to that building. And while Alan is believed to have killed many more victims than the two he was sentenced to jail for... His victim profile seems to be young men, and he would usually find these men at the bars and nightclubs. Although he is a monster, I don't believe Alan is responsible for Kayo's death. But this next suspect seems fishy to me. There was a man staying at the Queen Street Backpackers Hostel during the same time that Kayo was. He was a Ukrainian man who had actually been staying there for quite some time as a long-term resident. And this man matched a description given by a witness. Someone had reported that they saw a, quote, older chap with a disheveled look walking with an Asian female, end quote. 
Many people who knew him described him as being paranoid and eccentric, and that he seemed to have a history of mental health troubles. Not only did he leave the country suddenly on the day that Kayo's body was discovered, he also pawned jewelry in Australia. Now, what does this have to do with Kayo? Well, the jewelry he pawned matched the description of jewelry that Kayo was wearing that day. The jewelry that was taken by her killer. Mm. Weird, right? Yeah. I think it's weird that he left the day her body was discovered after being a long-term resident. But they couldn't get enough on him to get him or what? Well, what ends up happening is about two years after this, he is found squatting in an airport and he's arrested for that. And once he's arrested for this, there's an Interpol alert that was triggered. And with that, he's sent back to New Zealand and straight to the police station where an investigator would interview him over the course of a couple days. But then this officer states, quote, my gut instinct is that it wasn't him, a guy with a clear mental health history. Was he the kind of person who would have been able to approach Kayo, strike up a conversation and entice her into a stairwell? End quote. So it kind of seems like after this interview, they just decided it wasn't him because of a gut feeling. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. And I don't think, I don't know if the DNA was discovered under her fingernails at the time they talked to him. Yeah. So I don't know if they tested, you know, his DNA because they didn't come out and say that there was DNA under her fingernails until 2018. Oh, wow. And they couldn't link the jewelry. I guess it just, they just thought it to match the description. So... You know, this officer's like, yeah, it I says in my gut it wasn't him. <laughs> so I don't think that's a reason to rule someone out. But it seems like after this, mm. they stop focusing on him. Yeah, that's too bad. And then years would go by with no new leads. Everyone was losing their grip on the hope they had left to find answers in Kayo's murder. But just about two years ago, in 2018, at the same time that they came out with that DNA evidence, there's also a new suspect that emerges. It's a man who police describe as, quote, looking really good for this crime, end quote. They connect this man to where Kaya was found because he used his ATM card at the Queen Street's BNZ shopping center ATM. And he used it that same afternoon that Kayo arrived in Auckland. This man is also believed to have other victims that he assaulted after spiking their drinks. Now, I don't know if that means he just sexually assaulted them or if they believe he's also murdered other people. But there's not a lot of information. Police are staying tight-lipped. One detective did come out and say, quote, This is exciting. It's been a long time with this case. We know we now have somebody who we know and can say was in Queen Street and was in the vicinity of where Kaya was. And he's been nominated to us for a reason. End quote. 
And that's exciting. It seems like we're finally getting somewhere. But now we're in 2021, and it's been two years. There's no more word on this suspect, and this case remains unsolved. I wonder what they had on that guy just that he spent, used his ATM. That's the only thing they'll come out and say. Mm -hmm. But him saying, and he's been nominated to us for a reason, sort of makes me think they know more. It seems like the police in this case are keeping a lot of information, like, tight to the chest. Yeah. Like, they're only letting a few things out. And, I mean, they're even admitting it, that they know more information. So, they must know more. And what's weird to me is that that suspect came from another police force, you know, in another district. So, I wonder how they connected him to Kayo's murder, and then they informed the Auckland police that they had this suspect. Yeah. Huh. And the Auckland police won't even say what police force they got the information from. Wow. Like, they even want to keep that a secret. In 2018, how did this other police force just find this suspect in a case that they're not over? Yeah, there must be lots of other stuff that we're not knowing. Now, whoever the suspect is in this case is believed to be confident and comfortable with the area, as well as someone who would be able to make someone else comfortable with them. The suspect may have been close to Kayo's age and someone who looked trustworthy. This man was also forensically aware since there were no fingerprints found on items in the garbage bin and no other DNA was found outside of the DNA under Kayo's fingernails. It is believed that this person has committed acts like this before and that it was premeditated with a sexual connotation as their motive. And police still need your help, New Zealand residents and anyone who was visiting Auckland, New Zealand, during September of 1998. If you have any information, even if you don't think it's big, you can call 0800-COLD-CASE, which is 0800-2653-2273. And if you're overseas and not local to New Zealand, you can call the Auckland police at 649-302-6400. I don't like these cold cases. I want there to be an ending. I know. I don't like them either because it's just like, (laughs) it's so frustrating to know that there's like people out there just getting away with murder. I know. It's so hard for the family. You know, I'm sure I'm sure the DNA under her fingernails has been put into like a CODIS system, you know, type thing. And so hopefully one day they might just strike luck and that DNA matches someone or they could use my favorite thing ever, genetic genealogy and track the person, you know, through their familial DNA because that's the best thing ever. And I think is going to help solve so many cold cases. Yeah. So whoever you are, if you're out there, 
Just know that people are still looking for you. talking about our best show yet and it's gonna be so fun i'm charlie and i'm here to give you a palate cleanser do you love penguins because i do and i wanted to talk about to them today because that i figured out that would be so fun talking about them today do you know the first people that ever saw penguins They called them strange geese. They didn't know what that weird-looking bird was. Penguins are so cute how they just waddle around. And I guess to the explorers, they just look like silly birds. And they didn't know they were penguins. So they should figure out if a bug, if a, If they have a book that has a that has a penguin in them, they should read it and figure out it's a penguin, not just a silly bird flopping around. Okay, bye. Next uh, next episode about duckies will be so fun. If you enjoyed our show today, you know what to do. Share this story with your friends and onto your social media. That is huge. That helps us so much. And every single person that does that, I appreciate you so much. If you're on Apple Podcasts, make sure you leave us a five-star review. Written reviews are the best because people can read why you love the show. If you have any case suggestions or any stories of your own, please email them to us at truecrimeexposed at gmail.com. We will feature your stories on our podcast when we have enough, and they will be so much fun. I love listener episodes where we can hear what's going on in your guys' lives, the crazy things that we all go through, to really see the creepy stuff that happens all around us. Follow us on social media for pictures and information on each case we cover. You can find us on Instagram at True Crime X Pod. It's True Crime E X P O D, and you can find us on TikTok at True Crime Exposed Podcast. This podcast is researched, written, hosted, and edited by me, Kayla Waters. It's co-hosted by Alicia Jenkins. The palate cleanser is given to us by Charlie Waters. Our original graphic art was done by Arthur Max, and our music was created by Jaden Schultz. You can find him on Instagram at In Pajamas Music. Make sure you stick around to get organization info. Make sure you stick around to get organization info so that you can get involved in helping fight these types of crimes. All right, New Zealand, if you visit victimsupport.org.nz, you're going to find a victim support nonprofit that you can get involved with. So what do they do? Victim support provides a free nationwide support service for people affected by crime, trauma, and suicide in New Zealand. 
They help their clients find safety, healing, and justice after crime. You can ask police to refer you to victim support, or you can call them directly at 0800-842-846. And when you call there, you will be connected with a support worker. You'll come through their 24-7 contact service and they'll ask you some basic information about your situation and then they'll connect you with the support you need. They're offering a service and they say that it is delivered by a nationwide network of trained support workers who can help you with things like someone to listen to you and talk with you and support you so that you can cope through this crime or this trauma or this loss. And they will also help answer your questions. They can help you understand your rights so that you can make informed choices They can be someone that assists you and supports you at court trials, hearings, and dealing with the police and the other government agencies. They can help you access local support services and counseling. They can help you plan a safety plan and support for people affected by family violence and harm. They can also help to prevent prepare victim impact statements, and attend family group or restorative justice conferences. They also have financial assistance for victims of serious crime. When you visit that website, victimsupport.org.nz, you will find all sorts of things where you can learn what they do, who they support, their commitment to you. You can learn their vision and values, who their people are, where they're located, their history, who they work with, and all their research. There will also be a link for you to support their work so you can give to them. Um, You can do like a one-time donation or you can sign up for a monthly donation. They also have other ways to give where you can volunteer and support their program. Thank you guys for supporting me. Thank you for supporting these organizations. I literally love you guys so much. 